It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey everyone, welcome into another Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. And this is a big one as far as the Pipeline Podcast go. Well, I shouldn't say that. They're all big ones. But it's always fun when we get to uh, not unveil, but at least uh, talk about the MLBPipeline.com Top 50 Draft Prospects. So the draft is far away still. But right now, these are the top 50 talents, uh, according to you guys, and that could change as we go. But I think a year ago, number one pretty much stayed put throughout the whole process. So we will see. We're going to dig into the top 50 a little bit, um, who the top arms are, top hitters, college, high school. But I want to start with kind of an overall thought, and that is every draft class has strengths and weaknesses. Um, Jonathan when you look at this draft class for 2017, still months and months away, what is the overall strength of this class? I don't like how you keep couching how this is so far away as if Jim and I don't have this nailed perfectly <laughs> as of um, – I couldn't even get through that with a straight face. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the, the strength uh, right now definitely appears to be college pitching in particular. If you look uh, at the top 50 um, – it's, we have six of the top ten are all college pitchers, uh, starting with Alex Fayeto, who is at number four uh, right now. Uh, so especially at the very top, uh, it, it's really college pitching heavy. Obviously, performance will, will play a key part, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if you saw most, if not all, of those guys going in the top half of, of the first round. Agreed, Jim? Yeah, no, I agree. I think you have six guys who could go in the first ten picks if everything goes well. There's another, you know, even behind them. I mean, we we could see 10, 12 pitchers, college pitchers in the first round. And I think, in general, teams, everything equal, want college pitchers at the top of the draft because those bad teams usually uh, need a lot of pitching. And the college pitchers are quicker to the majors, so I think they're usually in demand. So I think not only are they the strength of the draft, I think just the demand for them will will, will push them up boards a little bit more too. Jim, how about the weakness of this uh, draft class? Well, that would clearly be college position players, although I think you could say that in, in most draft years because right. the teams do such a good job of signing talent out of high school that it waters down the college class. And whereas with the pitchers, you can have guys who, you know, blossom, you know, they get stronger, they, they start, you know, throwing harder, their stuff picks up. You know, the guys who are projectable at 18 start to realize that projection at 21. With, with, with high school hitters, it just seems like if you have any amount of athleticism and hitting ability, uh, unless you're just dead set on going to school, you're going to sign out of high school because uh, you're going to get offered so much money. Now, the, the exception to that rule this year is Jaron Kendall, who was dead set on going to Vanderbilt or, or would have been a high pick three years ago when he was coming out of Wisconsin. But Jaron Kendall is, is clearly the top college position player uh, out there, and he even comes with some swing and miss concerns. And after that, 
it's rough. I mean, it's you know, usually you, you want up-the-middle talent toward the top of the draft, but all the college position players find Jaron Kendall you know, could wind up being first baseman. Brendan McKay might be the best hitter in college baseball this year, and he might even get drafted as a lefty pitcher. Uh, guys are split on him. Uh, you know, The next best position player on our list is Taven Smith, who is a first baseman at Virginia. And then the next college position player on the list is J.J. Schwartz, who is kind of the number two catcher of Florida. And there are evaluators who don't think he's going to be a catcher and think he's going to wind up being a first baseman. So it's a bit of a grim year uh, position player-wise on the college side. Jonathan, you on board with that? Yeah, I am. Uh, and, and, and Jim is on target in terms of you know, why, why that is. Now, invariably, there are some college performers who sort of, I don't want to say pop up, but uh, will move up. If you're a college position player, especially because of the, of the dirt in that group, and you perform well in the spring of your draft year, you're going to, to, to move up. Um, I don't, off the top of my head, remember our top 50. But, I mean, Jim, do you remember, was Matt Dice on our top 50 last December? He probably I was. Don't think, I don't think he was. I, I, you he know, was I think maybe he was just him. outside. Yeah. Um, Matt Dice, of course, ended up going in the middle of the first round. Uh, also, University of Virginia. Uh, he's a good guy to bring up because you think of him, and then maybe you think of Paven Smith and J.J. Schwartz because he was a catcher at Virginia, and they moved him to first base immediately, uh, did, did the Angels. So, you know, there are going to be guys like that who will creep up into the first round uh, based on performance and based on the, the lack of college hitters. All right, so let's get into kind of the, the top guy at each thing. You kind of gave it away a little bit, Jim, as far as top college hitter goes. I guess it's Jaron Kendall of Vanderbilt. But what makes him so good that he's you guys have him in the top five here, uh, actually number two overall on this list? Yeah, I just think when you're talking, you know, like I was saying, you just don't see that many college position players who are up the middle guys with, with, with tremendous athleticism and some hitting ability. And he's a guy who you know, gets some comparisons to Jacoby Ellsbury, you know, albeit with a better arm because Ellsbury has a terrible arm, but he's a well above average runner. He plays a good center field. He's got a solid arm. He's got deceptive power. He's not just a little slappy guy who, who hits the ball on the ground, tries to beat it out. And he can hit the ball with some authority. He just needs to be a little bit more consistent with, with making contact at the plate. But I just think you know his his skills and tools and ability stand out even more in a draft class where those college position players are really really thin. Who's somebody else, Jonathan? College position players. Well, you know, Jim really mentioned uh you know the next group and there is quite a, a drop off but uh Paven Smith is a guy uh who I think is the most likely to creep up into the upper half of the first round if he performs well a good left-handed swing can hit for average the power numbers haven't been there but you have to take into consideration that Virginia's home field is extremely pitcher friendly and guys have come out of there and shown more power once they, uh, you know, enter the pro game. You know, Ryan Zimmerman is the is the big you know big example that that immediately jumps to mind. So I think even if he shows a little bit more pop, if you reach double digit homers and you play University of Virginia, that's that's often a good sign. But I, there's definitely some raw power there. But he is a first baseman only. Now he's a good first baseman. There's some people maybe think he could play left field, uh, but it's not like you're going to draft him because of his left field skills. 
you're going to be drafting him because of, of the bat. Um, and I think he's probably going to end up settling somewhere in that middle of the first round kind of, kind of range, unless he just goes off uh, offensively. And then you, you'll see him creep up for teams that want to try to find somebody that's a little bit closer to a short thing. And I'll just throw in there, I'm going to just jump in there in the end of it and just say I agree with everything Jonathan uh, said there. Brennan McKay has almost an identical scouting report uh, in, in terms of the bat, the power, the athleticism. He hasn't played as much first base. So he's not as good defender as Paven Smith. And he'll be the, the really interesting guy to watch because – you know, I, I really think for two-way guys, usually you know which way they're leaning. When we talk about the number one guy in this list, he's a talented two-way guy, but we know which way teams are going to pick him. With McKay, I really think it's 50-50. Depending on who you talk to, some guys see him as a future number three starter, as a lefty pitcher, and other guys think he, he might be the best college hitter in this year's draft. So he's really he, he's the intriguing X factor in the top ten picks. All right, so Jaron Kendall, number one as far as college position players. Let's shift to high school hitters. And, of course, when you look back at 2016, that was the number one overall pick. Mickey Moniak ended up going to the Phillies, a high school outfielder. So, Jonathan, you get first pick here. Who's the best high school hitter in this draft? Uh, right now it's uh, Royce Lewis, uh, you know, unless you want to count Hunter Green. Um, but he would not be number one if we were just looking at him as a hitter, although he would be on this list uh, without question. Uh, Lewis, you know, is really interesting. And, you know, you bring up Mickey Moniak and you know, talking to scouts in California, uh, you're going to try to compare them. They're, they're both toolsy. And I talked to some scouts who actually kind of like him more than Moniak, uh, which is – Amazing to, to think. Now, last year at this time, Moniak was a, a good, very good, but not great prospect, and then he just kept going in the spring. So we'll have to see what happens. But uh, Lewis is a little faster than Moniak has, might have more now power uh, than Moniak did at this point. Uh, he's a shortstop right now, um, but a lot of people think he, he's bound for center field. Either way, he's an up-the-middle player with dynamic tools. He has a chance to, to really impact the game pretty much every way imaginable. Jim, you want to jump in with another high school position player? Yeah, and, I, and everything Jonathan said there is correct. The one guy who could maybe jump ahead of him if he – if he hits during the spring, although Kentucky high school competition, I don't know how much you can read into that. But Jordan Adele probably has better, a little bit better tools than Royce Lewis, which is saying something because Royce Lewis is a very good athlete as well. But, I mean, Adele's a well-above-average runner, well-above-average raw power from the right side of the plate, plus defender and center, plus arm, but struggled on the on the showcase circuit this summer. You know, he, he, there were times where he – he just didn't seem to, to catch up to even average fastballs. He had trouble recognizing breaking pitches. Obviously, that's a big deal. I mean, it, it's, you know, th th this guy could be a dynamic five-tool talent or he could wind up being Bubba Starling, and, and teams are going to have to try to figure that out this, this spring. Don't want to bring up Bubba Starling's name here. That's, that's never a good comp at this point. Um, all right, we're going to move on to back to the college guys, and we're going to talk about the best college pitcher. And, Jim, you're up for uh, going first. You know, <laughs> ooh, a tough decision. Well, it's tough because I mean, well, I mean, Alex Fayetto's ranked number four uh, on our list, and, and I guess he would come into the year. But uh, having done the Team USA prospect list last year, there were people who who watched the U.S. Collegiate National Team who, who thought Kyle Wright had had more projection remaining. But I'll 
I'll go with Alex Fajardo since he's ranked number four. I'm just torn because I think that could really go either way. You know, Fajardo is a guy who, you know, was really the best pitcher on a Florida team that was loaded last year. They had, if I remember correctly, five pitchers drafted in the first four rounds. They have Brady Singer, who has a chance to be the number one overall pick in the 2018 draft, and some other talented sophomores on this year's staff. I mean, one of the best pitching staffs probably when we look back and we see where all those guys are drafted. I mean, that, that pitching staff might have seven or eight guys drafted in the first four rounds when, when all is said and done. And, you know, he's, he had arthroscopic surgery uh, on his knees this fall. Not not supposed to be uh, any kind of problem going forward. And, and, yes, he didn't pitch in the fall, but he pitched during the summer, and he pitched a lot in the spring, so I don't think anybody's really worried about that. But, I mean, you're talking about a guy who can, you know, throw, you know, when, he, when he's on, you know, 93, 94, 95, and, and wipe you out with a slider. That's a very good pitch. Uh, you know, when they're on, they're both probably well above average pitches. You know, he has change-up lags behind, but, you know, again, you're in college. I mean, you're not going to throw the change-up to a lot of guys because they aren't going to be able to handle the other stuff. And he throws a lot of strikes, too. I don't really think there's a red flag with him. Uh, you know, good size, uh, you know, athletic enough to throw a lot of strikes. Uh, I don't really see any downside to Alex Fieta. So, I mean, if you, you know, and especially, you know, comparing him to Wright, you know, he's got a little bit more now stuff than Kyle Wright. But, uh, you know, very, very good Good pitcher, and the Florida program just keeps churning out arm after arm after arm. And Fiedo is ranked number four in the top 50, Kyle Wright number five. So right behind him. Jonathan, what does Wright bring to the table? Well, you know, he he brings you know some really good now stuff, but there's more projection there. And I think that's, you know, one of the reasons why Jim hesitated, and, and I can see that. Because Wright could come out and and – if he takes a step forward in his junior at, at Vanderbilt, which is a school that just turns out pitching prospects, uh, those, those guys could certainly flip. Uh, I could see either one of those guys ended up being, end up being the number one pick in, in the draft when all is said and done. Uh, if, you know, the twins decide that they, they want to go the sort of more advanced college routing, he's 6'4", 220. Um, he's athletic. He, you know, he throws a lot of strikes, four pitches that are average or better. Uh, you know, so all of those things play in his favor, especially because there might be more in the tank there, which is not something you see that often from college arms. Here's a question for you guys. You think of Jaron Kendall. He's ranked number two here, Vanderbilt, and Kyle Wright, number five here for Vanderbilt, which made me think back to Dansby Swanson and Carson Fulmer being in the same draft class and being both top ten guys at this point. Um how do Jaron Kendall and Kyle Wright compare to Carson Fulmer and Dansby Swanson as dynamic duos? Anybody can um, jump you in. Know, it's interesting because they're really different types of players. I, I think Dansby was you know, not as athletic, as explosive as, as uh, Kendall is with the power and with the speed, but was a much more polished player. And You're talking infielder, outfielder, and, and I'm as big a Carson Fulmer fan as anybody, but it, I, I think you know, Kyle Wright is more polished than Carson Fulmer was. You know, Carson Fulmer, you know, great makeup and, and you know, high-tempo delivery, and, and you just attacked, attacked, attacked. And Kyle Wright, I, I think you have a better feeling at this point that he's going to be a starting pitcher. There was a lot of mixed opinion on Carson Fulmer that there probably still is. I, I don't think anybody questions that Kyle Wright's going to be a starter. So if I was stacking him up, you know, I, I, I might. I think I would probably take the Anthony Swanson and Carson Fulmer. Shocker. Well, well, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> you're getting the infielder, and I, and I, and I like Carson Fulmer almost as much as I like Dansby Swanson, but you're, you're getting an infielder versus an outfielder, and you, and you didn't have any concerns that, that Dansby Swanson was going to hit. 
And then I just think Carson Fulmer's stuff at the same point of his career, while it wasn't as polished, it was better stuff than Kyle Wright. So I would take the, the 2015 Vanderbilt combo over the 2017 combo. How, how about you, Jonathan? I feel like I should just be contrary. That's fine. Well, I think it's I just amazing that in, between us. that in three I will, years. I will yeah. say that I think that the 2017 combo has a higher ceiling than the Swanson-Fulmer combo. I think that's very uh, fair. Um, I, can we clip that and so I can play that over and over again when I'm feeling bad about myself? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just think, you know, if you're trying to compare uh, Kendall to Swanson, it's almost, you know, not totally fair. But I do think that if everything clicks for, for Kendall, there's a chance to be such a dynamic player. Uh, while Swanson has a chance to be, you know, a, a, an elite level player at an elite position, uh, but doesn't have, you know, has a higher floor. Uh, and I would say the same thing for, you know, for the pitchers, uh, especially because of the questions about Fulmer with his size and his delivery, which will dog him until he establishes himself. You know, he, we may look back and, you know, with his funky delivery and he's a big league starter for 10 years and, and so be it. Uh, but I don't think anyone looks, as Jim said, no one looks at, at, uh, um, at, you know, at Lewis and thinks, my goodness, he, he's not going to, he, I'm sorry, Kyle Wright, I'm conflating names now, you know, Kyle Wright and doesn't think that he's going to be a, a starter uh, for the long term. So I ordered this uh, to, to kind of build the drama a little bit for anyone who hasn't already checked out this list on MLBpipeline.com. Uh, but Kyle Wright was five, Alex Fajardo four, Royce Lewis, three, Jaron Kendall, two on the top 50. That leaves us with number one, and we move on to top high school arms. And I think, Jonathan, it's your turn to talk about Hunter Green, who you mentioned a little bit earlier. I kind of spilled the beans on that one a little bit, uh, so I, did, I didn't know your, your master plan for the big un, unveil there. But, uh, yeah, he is number one, you know, second year in a row, a high school arm at the top of the list. Um, Obviously, Jason Groom didn't go number one for a whole host of reasons that we don't have to go into. Uh, but you know, Green is really interesting. Um, he is a legitimate two-way guy, uh, although a large majority of teams like him better on the mound. I think there's a team or two that likes him as a position player. Um, I got some really interesting stuff on this when I was working on sort of the main story about the list. Uh, you know, he's such a East on the mound, and the stuff is so electric and so good that uh, one scouting director I talked to thinks that he, some teams probably just aren't even getting to like a full evaluation of him as a as a position player, uh, which is why I was sort of getting a general opinion originally that you know he's top of the draft talent wise as a pitcher and maybe like a sort of lower first round pick as a position player. That may not be fair. Um, because you know he's very good as a position player, but teams aren't really bearing down on him. Uh, he's so athletic. You know, he's up to the upper 90s over the over the summer uh, showcase circuit. Got an unbelievable breaking ball to go with it. A, even a feel for a changeup, even though that's his third pitch. Um, I think the best quote I had uh, was the scouting director who said that he felt that the best high school pitcher he'd ever scouted was, uh, was Josh Beckett back in 1999. And he thinks Hunter Green is better than Josh Beckett. 
Wow, that's impressive. Jim, you want to weigh in on Green and then also throw out another name of somebody who could maybe um, make a run at being the top high school arm by the time we get to April and May and the beginning of June. Well, I don't know if anybody's going to make a run, but I'll give you a name as a guy who's who's probably going to be the solid number two. Because I just think Hunter Green, you know, maybe not so much the draft class as a whole, and obviously no right-hander, high school right-hander has ever gone 1-1. But when you're talking high school pitchers in this year's draft, it's Hunter Green and everyone else. And it'll be interesting to see. I, I don't... I, you know, with this new Twins regime that I think is going to be a lot more analytically oriented than the Twins were in the past... I can't necessarily see them taking a high school pit right-hander with the first overall pick. And I don't think there's any stigma to it. I mean, if you think the guy's the best player, you should take him. But I just don't know. I, I, I actually think the concerns about high school pitching, that yes, I mean, I, I do agree it's the most riskiest demographic and there's a lot that can go wrong. But you know what? You could say that about college pitchers, too. They're, they're not as risky, and you have three more years of health data and performance data, and you've seen them against better competition. But it's not like the college pitchers are, are so much a safer bet than the high school pitchers. And if you think Hunter Green's the best guy, you should take him. And if the draft were today and I had the number one pick right now, I, I would take Hunter Green. But if you're looking for a guy who, like I said, you know, I don't think anybody's going to really challenge Hunter Green because uh, he's that far ahead of everybody. But the guy who, who is probably the, the, the number two guy on the list right now, kind of a solid number two, and I think Jonathan may be uh, as big a fan of this guy as anybody, is D.L. Hall from Valdosta, Georgia. He's got a plus fastball. He can hit 95. It's got life. His curveball is probably his best pitch, or a lot of times it's his best pitch. It's still a little consistent, but it's one of the better curves in this year's draft. Uh, you know, the changeup's coming. The delivery looks pretty good. Kind of a smaller guy, listed six feet tall. He gets some Scott Casimir comparisons because of the size and the stuff that comes out of his left arm. But I think he's the clear number two, but I don't want to take uh, – I would not take bets that he will surpass Hunter Green when it comes to the spring. Fair enough. So there's your top five of the top 50, and we've covered kind of the best of each uh, scenario, hitters and pitchers. But you guys always come up with guys that you really just like, not necessarily the best guy at, at each spot, but maybe it's a gritty player or somebody. We joke around about prospect crushes. So at this point in December, I want each of you to just throw one more guy in this top 50 that you really like. It may not be a guy that you think is going to end up being in the top 10, but someone who's safely in the top 50 that, that you guys just really like watching them play baseball. Uh, Jonathan, why don't you go first? This is what maybe the easiest pick for me ever. Uh, and uh, it's got to be Nick Allen. Uh, I saw him tournament of stars and then he continued on on the, on the showcase circuit. Uh, anybody who watched the perfect game, all American classic saw him make a, a couple of just highlight real plays at shortstop. He is a legitimate shortstop plays a ton with a ton of energy. Uh, he's got great hands more than enough arm. Now he's five foot nine and listed at 155 pounds. So this is a guy that people are going to watch carefully to see whether or not he'll be strong enough to, you know, to hit at the next level. He runs well. He's a base stealing threat. Um, there's obviously not a lot of power there and it doesn't project uh, to, to be a whole lot. But I think with the skill set that he has, as long as he shows that the bat's not going to get knocked out of his hand when he starts facing, uh, you know, you know, elite level velocity all the time, 
And he handled the bat fine in the, in the summer showcase circuit when he saw some of that, and not as refined as he's going to see in the pro game. And also that he can hold up, you know, over the course of a long professional season. But he plays, you know, he's one of those smaller guys that plays with a chip on his shoulder, uh, and I think that fuels him. He's just a lot of fun to watch. All right, how about you, Jim? I'm going to go with Ryan Vallade, uh, who's from Stillwater, Oklahoma High School. His dad uh, is an assistant coach uh, at Oklahoma State, was a coach in the Rangers organization. Uh, before this year, just took the job with the with the Cowboys. But uh, you saw this, saw Ryan win the home run derby at the Under Armour All America game in August. He, he's got good bat speed. I think he's going to get stronger. He, he barrels a lot of balls. You know, shortstop now going to be third base at the next level. Good arm. You know, not necessarily that shortstop quickness. And you guys remember a year ago how much I like Cole Stoby coming out of Nebraska, who wound up getting a seven-figure bonus in the third round from the Phillies. This guy reminds me a lot of Cole Stobie, even down to the fact that both those guys were batting in the middle of the lineup for Team USA, the 18-and-under team. So I really like uh, like Ryan Vallade as, as my kind of you know personal you – know, I'm not saying he's going to necessarily go in the top ten picks, but he's a guy who, who I really, really like. And, and I actually have a question I was going to post to Jonathan because I have my, my own answer to this. Jonathan, how about I – and I'll throw this one out at you. Guy, Somebody who's not in the top 20 – but that could go in the top, not in our top 20 right now, but could go in the top 10 picks in June. Do you have anybody who jumps out at you? I, I know you aren't prepared for this question. I'm just springing it on you. So you someone in the, who is not in the top 20 who could end up going in the top 10 picks. Correct. I like that question. Um, you know, I think, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll throw out one guy and – it's unlikely. Well, there are two guys that jump to mind, and they're right next to each other. So one is, is Quentin Holmes, just because of the 80 speed. When he plays in New York, I don't think there's going to be enough time for him to show that he, he can hit enough to, to move up. But that kind of speed is just you don't see it. Uh, the other is right after him on the list. Uh, Holmes 33 is Brendan Little, 34. Sort of an interesting story. He was a, you know, a decent high school prospect, went to North Carolina through four innings as a freshman, so he transferred to the State College of Florida. Uh, he's a, a lefty with a, an easily plus fastball up to 97 this fall. Good curveball. You know, I think his command and changeup are what's going to show. If he goes out, even at junior college ranks, and, and throws consistently that well and misses bats and throws strikes, uh, as a lefty who throws that hard, I could see him sneaking up there. And that was that was exactly who I was leaning towards too. I just think Little was so good on the Cape, kind of an unknown quantity. Uh, you know, what, guys weren't bearing down on him necessarily at the the beginning of the summer because he was a North Carolina guy. He wasn't even going to be draft eligible this year. But now that he's going to junior college in Florida, you just don't see lefties with arms like that. You know, and like you said, he's got some track record. So it wasn't like this guy came out of nowhere. And, and at times he had as good a stuff as anybody on the Cape. You know, whether he can harness it, that still needs to be proven. But if he does. I, you know, that's another college pitcher who could go in the first 10 picks. All right, that's going to do it. Oh, one other note. We mentioned Nick Allen, and Jonathan, you mentioned the great defensive play in the perfect game. Uh, that is available on MLBPipeline.com as part of his uh, player video. So if you click on that MLB Top 50, click on Nick Allen, you can take a look at that tremendous play from the perfect game. Uh, All-American game. All right, that's going to do it for another Pipeline podcast. The top 50 is set for the 2017 draft. Check it out along with all the notes from these guys on MOBPipeline.com. And that's going to do it. For Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in.
Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 